0: Hi, I'm Alex Rodriguez, and welcome back to another episode of Bone Group Banter. As always, we're here to discuss, debate, and share all things musculoskeletal. Now, you may have missed the voice of my colleague, Aisha Zengen. She's off gallivanting in India as part of her global collaborations. But not to be outdone, I'm reporting live from beautiful Krakow in Poland, attending the World Congress of Osteoporosis, Osteoarthritis, and Musculoskeletal Diseases. And so what I have for you today, I'll be presenting some of the abstracts that caught my eye attending this meeting. Our first abstract comes from Eugene McCloskey's group from the University of Sheffield, Sheffield, and they looked at uh, a screening program for fracture risk reduction. So in the Screening for the Prevention of of Fractures in Older Women, or the SCOOP study, which was a large, multi-centred, randomised control trial of screening for osteoporotic fracture risk. So in this study, 12,000 women were randomised, that's randomly allocated to one group or another, to either assessment with uh, the FRAX tool, which we've spoken about before, and or um, having uh, BMD assessed by DEXA if it was indicated from the FRAX assessment, with medications recommended uh, for those found to be at high fracture risk, and this was compared to just usual NHS care. So this is like the, the, the Medicare, essentially a do-nothing. So what they found was that after six months, 12.3% of screening participants compared to 2% of participants uh, given usual, usual care, reported taking anti-osteoporotic uh, medications. And After 60 months, so this is five years later, 37.1% of uh, women in the screening group um, were still on treatment compared to only 21.6% in the usual care group. So what this study shows was that systematic fracture risk screening using the FRAX tool leads to markedly greater use of anti-osteoporotic medication and greater adherence. Uh, in women deemed at high fracture risk compared with just usual care. So these findings really inform public health strategies aimed at uh, the reduction um, in in broken bones that a simple screening tool can lead to all these uh, these benefits some five years later. Our next study comes from Mary Book Science Group from Harvard University called entitled Local Osteo Enhancement Procedure Utilising a Novel Triphasic Calcium-Based Implant Increases Long-Term Finite Element Analysis, Estimated Proximal Femur Strength in Osteoporotic Women. Now, that sounds like a bit of a handful, but just bear with me for a moment, because this is some really, really interesting work. So as the title suggests, they're using this technique called Finite Element Analysis, which basically is a, a sophisticated computer model to... Look at strength and other characteristics of bone. So, in a group, a uh, small group of um, postmenopausal women, so about seventy odd uh, years old, they underwent this procedure called a local osteo enhancement uh, procedure. Essentially, just trying to strengthen a, a small area of, of bone. And in this procedure, they delivered, as it says in the title, a novel triphasic calcium-based implant. So, I suspect this is under patent or still undergoing preliminary trials. So they haven't released much details uh, about this. Needless to say, um, the group has just named it AGN1. And they delivered this AGN1 to the proximal femur. So this is um, the sort of uh, the top bit of your, your hip bone. So one proximal femur in each of these 12 women was treated with this with this uh, special agent. And then the contralateral, or the other side, or the other hip, um, served as as a control in these women. So CT scans and the finite element analysis was done uh, before the operation, one year, uh, two years, and then 315 weeks later. So what they found was very, very interesting. For a sideways fall, so you can imagine falling onto your hips sideways. Strength increased significantly. So this is finite element analysis, uh, derived or estimated, uh, predicted strength, I should say. Strength increased significantly in the treated versus the control uh, femurs. And this was at, uh, this persisted at 12 weeks, uh, 12 weeks, 24 weeks, and then 315 weeks later. Quite remarkable. So mechanistically, at early time points, newly formed bone adjacent to the implant. So where they put this implant on the hip bone, new bone started to be made around it. So this implant area provided additional pathways for load transfer. So when you fall, there's more bone there for the the force, the load of of the person to be distributed um, there. So this analysis suggests there's a new integrated load-bearing bone within the implant area after 315 weeks. That is absolutely remarkable. So they conclude by saying that these results suggest that AGN1, this novel uh, implant of the the proximal femur, so the top part of the hip, in osteoporotic women can substantially increase uh, hip strength for a sideways fall. The effects start in soon after treatment, so three months, and persisting five to seven years later. So I guess uh, my take-home message from that was uh, a sort of watch this space because that is some really exciting uh, uh, work being done there. Our next abstract comes from a group uh, based in Taiwan collaborating with the Mayo Clinic in the US. And they uh, were interested in the effects of denosumab on glycemic uh, control, and they postulate whether denosumab has an effect on diabetes. So, and as we know, that's um, very relevant, as as people with uh, diabetes uh, seem to also have compromised bone strength, as was spoken about in a previous podcast. So, the primary aim of this study was to determine if dinosumab could improve glycemic uh, control, so how well you you metabolise uh, glucose in patients with type two diabetes and also with pre diabetes. Uh, um, and all these patients had osteoporosis. So the major limitation, I'll just say up front now, was that this was a retrospective um, uh, case control study, meaning that they had all these medical records and they were going back to look at them. So this is not, let's start something now and and then postulate an effect and see what happens there, looking back in time. So, in middle aged to very old subjects, including somebody who was 100 years old so with type 2 diabetes and osteoporosis. So, the subjects are divided into three groups based on the osteoporosis uh, treatment regime. So, there was denosumab, there was uh, bisphosphonates, which was spoken about as well, and also your, your garden variety, calcium and vitamin D. So, in measuring glycemic control, they looked at fastening plasma glucose. So, this is the glucose circulating around um, in your blood and also this other uh, marker called haemoglobin A1c or HbA1c. So this gives a better indication of long-term glycemic uh, uh, control. And they also measured uh, body weight at 0, 6, and 12 months after starting the osteoporosis treatment. So what they found from 0 to 12 months, there was a significant difference in the HbA1c, so the glycated haemoglobin, uh, change amongst the groups. Calcium vitamin D, this increased 0.14%, and in bisphosphonates, this increased 0.3%. But in the denosumab group, this decreased 0.29%, and this was statistically significant. And there was also a significant difference in weight change among the groups between zero and six months, so the early time point. So calcium vitamin D group lost 0.17 kilos, in the bisphosphonates group, they gained 0.95 kilos, so nearly a kilo. But the denosumab group lost one kilo. Might not seem like much. But this is, of course, an average of all the of all the people, and of course, this was statistically significant. However, there was no difference uh, in the uh, fasting plasma glucose change at any time point. So this study demonstrates that it may be uh, that denosumab or anti-osteoporotic medications may also have um, some effect on on glucose metabolism, and this is especially important for, for people with both diabetes and uh, osteoporosis. Our next abstract comes from Professor Rob Daly from the uh, here in Melbourne, actually. And what uh, this what he was presenting on was that they have results from a study which suggests that exercise did not lead to an increase in knee osteo. Um, arthritis, particularly the, the weight-bearing exercises. as you know this is a sort of a hot topic because we know that these high-impact loading exercises are very good uh, for your bones. But if you're old, you've got creaky knees, creaky hips, creaky back, um, there are some concerns about whether these loading exercises may exacerbate these conditions. So therefore, you know, uh, somebody... Uh, uh, a person may have this trade-off in their mind that should I improve my fracture risk or, and suffer the consequences of pain in my joints or should I just continue on this path and have less pain because of the arthritis? So that's what they really wanted to, to try and um, explore, specifically to examine the effects um, of high-impact um, uh, loading exercises on bone microarchitectures. So they used HRPQCT and also the cartilage health in the knee. So about 162, so 162 uh, who were over 60 years old, 162 adults who were over 60 were randomised to the intervention or uh, usual care. So the intervention consisted of high velocity resistance uh, training and weight bearing impact training, and uh, a challenging balance uh, training, about three times a week. So after 18 months, getting to the bone microarchitecture. Um, there was a net improvement or a net benefit, I should say, of um, trabecular in the trabecular bone, bone health in the exercise group compared to the um, control group. But most importantly, the cartilage volume losses at the tibia were similar in the exercise and the control group. And this was true even when they stratified, the results by the by the uh, presence of um, any defects in the cartilage or any um, uh, existing uh, arthritic uh, lesions there um, before they started the study. So overall, I guess they uh, they showed that there can be net improvements in trabecular bone microarchitecture without any um, uh, adverse effects on knee knee cartilage and and, and the structure of Of the knee joint. So this will go a long way to allaying some of the fears out there in the population. Our final abstract comes from Sweden, which uh, in this single center um, investigated the effect of Lactobacillus ruteri on bone loss in older women with low bone mineral density. So this bacteria is found in uh, uh, yogurts and and, um, other uh, fermented dairy products. And so they recruited Older women aged between 75 and 80 with low BMD. So this is right in that target population for high fracture risk and maybe going on, on some sort of medication. So they're really looking to establish if this could be a novel, a new novel treatment um, options. So they were randomised to receive daily 10 to the 10s, so this is 10 followed by 10 zeros, um, uh, uh, bacterial um, uh, cells, or um, placebo. So they measured bone using uh, uh, DEXA bone mineral density and also high-resolution PQCT. And the um, study went from, uh, lasted 12 months or one year. So what they found, supplementation with this bacteria led to significantly reduced loss of tibial volumetric bone density compared to placebo. So although they lost bone, Um, over time, uh, supplementation with this bacteria seemed to attenuate that loss. So in these older women who are going to be losing bone probably quite rapidly, were able to slow that rate of bone loss. So what this study shows is that supplementation with this particular bacteria significantly reduced the loss of uh, uh, volumetric bone density in the tibia and uh, uh, and could maybe be... um, uh, a potential novel therapeutic option in an age when we're really struggling to, to identify new, new therapeutic uh, strategies. So that's all I have for you today. I'm, I guess I'm getting pretty sick of talking uh, just by myself here. It was uh, wonderful to report from, from lovely Krakow, and needless to say, there's a lot of exciting uh, research, and we hope to get uh, more of this research out to you in the coming weeks. Thanks very much. Bye.